Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartman Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Cartman Cross Credit Union on Neal Street or cartmancrosscu.ie. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Selection Used Car Event is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. There are no gulls in Balbriggan or Skerries or in Fingal in general, North County, Dublin. What am I talking about? Well, story today, and this has risen its head in the North East as well in the past, that gulls are making life uh, are making life impossible for people in the North County Dublin towns. Uh, you know yourself, there are more gulls around our towns here. You'll see them all the time, and there is a reason behind it. Are they dangerous? Should, what should you do if you find out that you have a gull on your roof, round your chimney, or round your home? Well, we're going to find out now from the man that knows. Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland is on the line. Hello, Niall. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Now, first thing, they, they, they all call these creatures seagulls, but that's a, a generic term, or is a seagull a species itself? What type of gulls are we talking about, Niall? So, so the gulls that are being talked about in this context in relation to nesting on the roofs and scaries and, and Malbriggan are generally a species called herring gull. So that's the, the classic gull with the, um, with the white body, the silver-grey back and wings, um, the pink legs, um, a yellow beak with a, with a red spot on either side of it. And um, the reason why we, we, we in Birdwatch Ireland tend not to use the term seagull and recommend not using it is because, um, first of all, it hides the fact that there are a dozen or so different species of gull that, um, that, that live here in Ireland and other rare ones that visit occasionally. They all have different requirements. Um, many of them will go nowhere near a town. So it kind of, it kind of hides them all under one, one umbrella if you call them seagulls. The other thing, of course, is to call them seagulls suggests that they're completely tied to the sea, when in fact they aren't. Um, there are some species which are exclusively maritime, but the herring gull, in other words, like the black-headed gull, the common gull, other species, they move well inland, um, they, and they always have. That's not a new phenomenon. Uh, so they, 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 they go well inland. Um, sometimes you'll see gulls following the plough, for example. They know to look for worms in fields. Uh, and so certain species go well inland. So seagull, it, it kind of is a bit misleading. So we prefer to refer to the names of species. It's also more scientifically accurate as well. So herring gulls we are talking about. Now, can I say in reading this story uh, about the gulls and North County Dublin and Skerries and Balbriggan in particular, 5,000 breeding pairs of gulls in the area, is that exaggerated or true? It, it's hard to say. I, I, it does sound very high. I'm not, I'm not disputing the figures. What I am saying is that a proper 
consensus of seabirds needs to be done. It's long overdue, not just for gulls, but for many, many other seabird species. And this is something that the Irish state is obliged under European Union law to do. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, the fact is that there are obviously, there has been certainly a marked increase in the number of gulls nesting around that part of North County Dublin uh, and uh, in, in the last few years. Uh, and there's some signs elsewhere in Ireland, but particularly North County Dublin, that seems to be a particular issue. But the thing that needs to be borne in mind as well is this species, the herring gull, it's not exactly thriving in Ireland, despite the local increases in numbers. It actually has declined. It's on the endangered list in Ireland as, as one of our most threatened birds because the population actually declined by 90% over the course of just 30 years, which is a massive drop um, uh, by, any, um, by any measure. Uh, and what we're actually seeing is rather than the species doing really well and expanding then into new areas because the population got so large, they're having to resort to nest in these areas and to feed in these areas because of the species in crisis. Uh, there are two separate things happening with these goals, particularly in North County, Dublin. Uh, one is that uh, certain goals have learned to associate human beings with food. And when they get a taste for an easy meal, it's very hard for them to avoid that. But that's the way nature works. That's the way human beings work. We take the easy option off from ourselves. Uh, so that's what's happened is that people have been feeding goals, often throwing them chips, throwing them bits of bread, the remains of sandwiches and so on. I was up in Balbriggan and Scaries myself just past weekend and saw many people doing that in the, in the lovely sunny weather. That's not a good idea. Uh, it's bad if these birds learn to associate humans with, with, with an easy meal. Yeah. That shouldn't happen. Also, you have issues with, with refuse. Um, a lot of areas around Dublin city centre and, and some of these seaside areas in, in Dublin as well um, have overflowing rubbish bins. You have things dumped on the ground outside chip shops, all of this. That does have an effect too. Those goals are thinking, well, why should I bother scavenging for food along the beaches or in the fields where I can just easily get nutritious food right here? So that's something that's happening as well. Uh, then also there's a separate issue. Uh, it sort of starts around this time of year when gulls are nesting on the rooftops. That is a different problem. Um, that's often because these gulls would have traditionally nested on islands off the coast of North County Dublin that have now become overrun with rats and with mink and indeed with human day trippers who cause disturbance by going through the colonies or the, 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 the predators will eat their eggs and so forth. And so these gulls have decided to move to what they see is another island. It's surrounded by, by roads instead of by, uh, by, by water, but it's just as effective to keeping away predators. So they nest on top of rooftops in coastal towns. We're seeing this a bit in Dublin City and particularly in Balbriggan and Scarries and other parts of, of North County Dublin. Um, there's some um, indications might be happening to a degree in Waterford as well. It hasn't been a huge issue in too many other cities as yet, uh, but um, but it's also something that's being, that's being watched for. This is, again, a symptom of a species in crisis. This is not normal behaviour. And when you see behaviour altering so quickly for these birds um, or for any organism, we should listen to the alarm bell. So it's not so much that the, the goals are the problem. The goals are a symptom of a bigger problem, and that's a failing ecosystem. There's so much overfishing, for example. Um, our, our government still sets fishing limits, fishing quotas for many uh, commercial species at above scientific advice, above maximum sustainable yield. This is leading to the depletion of our oceans, which is having a big effect on all sorts of seabirds, and the food chains are breaking down there, forcing these birds to move in to take easy options. And when they then associate humans with food, they then, they, they, they then can even become a bit aggressive around them or quite aggressive. Um, only a minority of them, but still, it, it is unpleasant having a big bird like this coming at you and trying to take your food. And it's, it's all at the root cause of, all, cause, of, cause of all of this is human behaviour. So uh, does it surprise me, Niall? Not one bit, I can tell you yet. So it's us, we are the cause, we are drawing them onto us. So don't feed them. Uh, the refuse issue you mentioned there, rooftops as an alternative to island, island habitats, around the coast habitats, and overfishing for fish as well. So all issues that can be dealt with uh, by ourselves as human beings. But here's a practical one for you. If you have them up on your uh, roof or they're nesting on your chimney or uh, whatever, 
what can you do? They are protected. It's illegal to do anything with them, is it? It is. It is illegal to, to interfere with the, the uh, what we call an active nest. So that's, that's a nest that contains eggs or chicks um, of not just herring gulls, but of any bird. Mm. Um, there was, was a special um, licence issued by, uh, by, the, by, the, by the Minister um, for Heritage um, Arts and uh, Heritage Culture in the Barrel Sector, who, um, who is um, in Balbriggan's carries those towns, where there was um, a special licence granted for the removal of eggs. We we're actually contending that this is illegal under European Union law um, because other examples other um, methods haven't been tested. There's no scientific evidence that would work. We're also worried that that's just going to push the problem to another town. That those, the, the, you know, that those birds will still nest. The yeah. are still there. So, so it's just pushing it down the road. Um, it needs to. We need to address a more holistic approach and see what's going on with the environment. Uh, but so, so in a nutshell, there is very little that people that people can do. Um, talk, contact the National Parks and Wildlife Service um, for advice, and, and if, in particular cases where goals are a problem, that 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 can be one thing to, to do. But in, in most cases, those goals actually aren't a problem, and um, they will get quite territorial around the, the, the time when uh, when they have their eggs, especially their chicks. They're just being good parents. They, they swoop down sometimes if someone comes too close. These are warnings. It, it's not pleasant. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm not belittling it. But um, it, those goals don't do any harm. They just are scared. They're trying to protect their chicks and they see us as predators or as a potential threat. So you have to bear that in mind. And we need to realise that the reason they're nesting on those rooftops is because their normal nesting areas have become unsuitable to, for them. And, and that is a problem as well. So we do need to try and address the problems going on in the wider ecosystem to try and, and reduce the, this problem. And it's also the waste management thing, just to return to that again, that is very important too. If you do have goals on your rooftop, do not feed them. Do not let them associate you with food. They might associate your rooftop with a nesting area, but that doesn't mean they associate human beings with food. And so they're not looking for food when they're there. That's not the reason they're there. But if they get easy handouts, then they will pretty quickly make that connection between humans and an easy life and food, and that's not good. They are a big bird. I've seen them, and I know what you're talking about. They do that in their natural habitat in the wild to fe- to ward off anyone or anything that would be coming near their nest, especially if they have young ones there. They're a big wingspan, and they swoop in. But that's all they're doing. It's their nature to protect their young. Uh, absolutely. That, that, that's sort of a, a fundamental for, for, for most animal species. They have this very strong maternal and paternal instinct to protect their offspring. And that's why, particularly during the summer months when the birds are breeding, so particularly in, in the months of, of June and July, these birds do become more territorial than normal. That behaviour usually finishes pretty abruptly once the chicks have left the nest. The chicks themselves are very docile and sometimes see them only just sort of half able to fly, sort of walking around gardens. They're not a threat to anybody. They're, they're, you know, they're just sort of very placid. And in in fact, in urban areas and in coastal parts of County Dublin, in fact, all around the Irish coast, there's actually far more gulls in those areas in the winter months than there are in the summer months because we get a big influx of gulls, both herring gulls and other species of gulls from other parts of the continent who come into those areas and they're scavenging on the beaches, they're looking for food and so forth. Most of them don't associate humans with food. They might perch on our, you know, on quaysides and, and sometimes on rooftops, but that's just a vantage point that they're, they're not aggressive, they're not looking for food. The other thing we have to bear in mind as well, nature abhors a vacuum. And in these areas where the gulls are scavenging for food, they're find, going through the bins, they're finding that food. We have to realise that if they're not doing that, other species are. And those other species will be rats, mice, foxes and animals like that. They're already doing it. They tend to do it at night. The gulls are out during the day, so we see them doing it. Um, so, you know, the, 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 you know I'm, not, I'm not saying it's good having the gulls do that, not, not by any means. Um, but they are cleaning up an environment that otherwise would lead to perhaps even more undesirable animals around. So that's another, another side of the story, too. So the message is, it's back to us, back to our government authorities to take the steps that will hopefully with time rectify this. It's not a short-term solution, obviously, Niall. 
No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and we, we would say that the, the state should have taken action in relation to this a long time ago. The, mm. the seabird surveys and that work are, are well overdue in um, contravention of European regulations. Uh, and it's important that we, we step up to the mark as a nation and, and properly value our natural heritage. Because, uh, as I said, the, the goals themselves are not the problem. They're the symptom of the problem. And um, they, yeah, they, they, they do cause difficulties and problems for people. There's absolutely no denying that. Uh, but scaring them off or removing the nest, it just pushes the problem somewhere else. We need to get to the root cause of that problem and, uh, and address it. And uh, as with so many things, it comes back to disruptions of our natural ecosystems. When we see nature going out of kilter, when we see species changing their behaviour over a very short period of time, we should realise that um, there's a warning there that we need to address something before it's too late. Niall, as always, a pleasure. And thank you for those words of wisdom today on behalf of the Herring Gull. Thank you for joining me again on the show. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Take care of yourself. That's Niall Hatch there from Birdwatch Ireland. And folks, you can dress it up any way you want. And there's hysteria in the media today about these gulls. You hear the man that knows there. It's our problem. We've created this. Mankind has created it. We've denied them their habitats, overfishing at sea. And they associate us as human beings uh, with this as as well, that we are part of the people uh, keeping this continuing because we feed them and give them the food. Louise, the posters are up. Did you see them? Wow, there was none there last night and all of a there sudden... There was none. Whoosh. Whoosh. There was none. Oh, by the, way, by the way, just before we go on to the posters, if you if you have issues with goals or you want to comment on what Niall had to say there, don't forget to get in touch with 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you have a goal uh, uh, question or if you have a comment to make on or if you have them with you in your home, we'd love to hear from you. Or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. If you've the been mo- outside eating and yeah. they swoop down. <laughs> and they swoop down your and sandwich. take it out. And they do that as well. Anyway... Yes, the poster uppers, the people who are out putting them up, they must have been out in the middle of the night, were they? There must have been like a rota. Because they're everywhere. Yeah, all of a sudden. Oh my God. Big ones, little ones, all looking at you. Would you vote for a politician who uh, has a Photoshop image on their poster or an image you know the way you see what do you, you laugh they at don't times. photoshop themselves of course they photoshop themselves in the name of god i was looking at some of the posters and you wouldn't mm. think it's the same person you'd meet walking down the street tomorrow looking for a voter who'd call to your door but, it, it, but, you know, it was really years ago it used to happen an awful lot i know but there's still some out there who hanker to their youth well i love there is um a councillor I believe in Meath who it has admitted that because of environmental issues he is going to reuse his posters um, albeit his picture is five years younger <laughs> so he has plus plus all the way I'm trying to think that one now. let me think that one he's been for good minute. for the environment and he's using the looking posters. younger all I'll, in one. I'll tell you what those politicians posters are great for the great children for sliding down the banks on <laughs> oh jeepers they're the best thing you can get for a self-made little slide that you you sit on the poster on the hill on a grassy bank and whoosh down you go they're the best use for those posters I've ever come across have you uh, garnered a few of them after the election to try <laughs> I've done it in my day outside broadcast by Jerry Kelly. I've done it in my day <laughs> I think that's a great use for posters put your ass on them put your ass on the face at the top of a hill and whoosh down you go I can't comment on that <laughs> I have no answer. (laughs)
<laughs> Think about it. Late lunch, LMFM radio this afternoon when the posters proliferate everywhere and we're in election mode all over with the locals and European elections on the horizon. Getting serious, next up on Late Lunch, we'll be joined by a man. His name is Andrew Jordan. We spoke to him in Late Lunch about a year ago, just over a year ago. His partner had gone missing. She went to India on a trip with her sister. Well, we have an update on the story coming up next. About a year ago on Late Lunch, I was joined by Andrew Jordan. He was working in St. Archie in Leytown at the time and he was distraught because his partner, Ligas Gromane, had gone to India with her sister and had disappeared. He didn't know at that stage what had happened to her. Subsequently, she was found... She had been raped, strangled and beheaded. A shocking case it is. And Andrew's back with us on the line today. Take us back to the time that all this happened uh, over a year ago. Why did Liga travel to India in the first place? Well, she'd been having some uh, problems from uh, um, some depression and uh, other psychological problems. So her sister had suggested bringing her to India for some Ayurvedic treatment at a clinic that she knew about. So uh, I reluctantly agreed to the idea and uh, I, was, I had a lot of doubts about it. But I had come to the end of my tether after six months of minding her 24-7 and uh, I decided it was worth the risk. So off she went to India with her sister and you're in touch with her when they go out there, yes. How long was she there uh, before she actually disappeared? Uh, she was there for about six weeks. She uh, left on the, well, it was early February, 3rd or 4th of February. Um, she went missing on the 14th of March. And had you been in touch with her talking to her on and off in the interim while she was there? Yeah, I had, yeah. I'd been in touch with her daily. But it was just a one-word text, you know. She wasn't very communicative at that stage. Do you remember precisely the date you got word that she disappeared? Yeah, I remember clearly. It was the day after she went missing, actually, the 15th of March in the evening. And uh, I immediately contacted the Indian Embassy to try and get an emergency visa and got in touch with um, my family and asked them to uh, help me sort out everything. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a panic. And then within a day and a half, I was on a plane to India. And you told us, I remember clearly around that time, that you were still hopeful that she was alive. That's right, yeah. I, I'm i still um, not sure exactly what happened, but I'm convinced that um, she wasn't killed on the day she went missing. I think she was held for quite some time because the, uh, the body didn't show signs of being in that uh, state for 40 days, which is what the police allege. Is she found before you come back home? No. She was found on the 20th of April. It was about a week after I got back there. And at that stage, a devastation for you. Did you suspect on your way home that even though you had thought she was initially alive, that it wasn't looking good? Well, it was always in the back of my head, but uh, I didn't want to give up at that stage. I thought there was still a slight chance that she was alive. Now, her body was found in, was it a swampy type area she was found in? The mangrove swamp, um, just beside coast actually just in from the coast along the riverbank but that wasn't the place where she actually met her horrific death no the police have come up with this story that uh, she was brought to a house nearby and that's where she was killed but i don't actually believe that at all i think the police just wanted to get this out of the media as fast as possible so they came up with any kind of half-baked story and then 
they forced the two accused to sign the confession. You say there, they forced them to. Does that suggest that you're not happy with this at all? Do you think, or oh, have no. you doubts about the the culpability of these two guys? Yeah, indeed, I do, yeah. I actually uh, initially considered that they were innocent, completely innocent, because um, I know for a fact that the police had kind of coerced them into confessing and uh, had had rounded up all the usual suspects at the time and narrowed down to these two because their phone records matched the location. But um, we have since tried to contact the the two accused and to, like, basically plead with them that if you're innocent, then come forward, talk to us, and um, we can help you get out of this if you tell us the truth, tell us, because I'm convinced they know what happened. But uh, they refused to uh, contact us, so I'm starting to think now that they are involved, but I don't think they're the main culprits, and I don't think that the story is as clear-cut as the police would like us to think. So you think these uh, two local lads may be taking the hit possibly for somebody else? I think they're just a scapegoat, yeah. I think uh, there's a lot more to the story, but the police are actually protecting the real culprits because uh, I'm convinced that it's drugs-related. The real culprit would probably be, you know, insulated from any kind of consequences. That's why they're so willing to do this. Like, they know that they're not going to get charged for it. There's a lot of these cases uh, that are covered up and people who are innocent are taking the rap for these crimes. Now, they've been charged, in fairness to the police, with first-degree murder and rape, but they were released on bail. Very uh, strange. I don't understand the the legal system over there, but apparently um, they had to release them on bail. They had to give them bail because they had failed to file a charge sheet within 90 days. And uh, I don't understand why there was such a delay there, because... Within three or four days, they had the chief of police on TV saying how happy he was with the investigation was wrapped up so quickly and everybody's getting the Medal of Honour. And then it takes over 90 days to make a charge sheet. So I don't understand what happened there. You were out there recently again on the first anniversary, yes? Yeah, I just got back. I was there for the last three months. The 11th of April was the date for setting the, well, for reading the charge sheet and uh, for them to have a chance to plead guilty or not guilty and for a date for trial to be set. But they didn't turn up on that date, and their lawyers just said they, they weren't available. They were busy. This is a, a regular kind of a mechanism that is used in, in the legal system where the lawyers know they have one free pass where they can get one postponement for free. And then the, the judge set the next date, postponed day for the 12th of June. So at that stage, hopefully, they will turn up and they will uh, be read the charges and they will and a trial date will be set if they plead not guilty which they will So there's an awful lot of unknowns and uncertainty around this and you're very far from India and you're dealing with a legal system that you're not familiar with and it all sounds very loose to me listening to what you're saying Andrew Are you going to continue to pursue this justice for Liga? Oh of course yeah I'll pursue it to the bitter end but I'm not going to waste my resources on the legal system to the court case is just a kangaroo court. It's not just an image thing for the media. It's not to seek justice in any way. They have no interest whatsoever in finding out the truth. Their main interest is to protect their industry. The tourism is their cash cow, and everything else is second fiddle to that. So if anything gets in the way of 
or hurts their tourism image, then they have to do everything they can in their power. They don't care what they have to do, who they have to steamroll over. But I've seen it happen a number of times in Goa. I've been doing a lot of research into their tourist murders, and this has happened several times before, where a tourist has been brutally murdered. And first of all, they try and make it look like a suicide, like they did with Liga. They tried to say that she'd eaten poison fruit, their suicide attempt. And then, if that doesn't work, they try and subdue it. They try and fight the family in court. And then, eventually, if the family is strong enough and has enough perseverance, then they get a criminal investigation underway. Court case could go on for several years. So I'm not going to lay any faith in the legal system over there. I don't expect any conviction or justice. I don't expect anything from their government. But um, I'm going to go through the motions with it anyway in the hopes that the truth does come out along the way. So where will you take it? If, if you're just going to go through the motions in India, what can you do? The best chance I have that is that somebody will come forward, somebody who has that information will come forward eventually. Um, there's, I'm sure that somebody knows something, but they're afraid to go to the police because they know that if they go there, they'll get more trouble for themselves. So I'm hoping that uh, if I spend more time there, if I have friends in the area, maybe something will leak out eventually, some little clue as to what actually happened. And uh, we're also going to make a documentary about it. A friend of mine over there is a filmmaker. He wants to help me make a documentary. So we'll be starting that at the end of the year. Just have to raise some funds for it. Andrew, thank you for joining us on Late Lunch today to keep Liga's name to the forefront of our minds and I wish you well with the ongoing case there and whatever may happen down the road. We think of her again today. Thank you for joining me. We'll be coming back to the seagull matter that we were talking about at the top of the show. We've had plenty of reaction from you on that one. Just want to remind you that the LMFM race day is taking place at Dundalk Stadium Friday week, the 3rd of May, with a full card of horse and greyhound racing, followed by music with the long riders. And we're giving you and three friends the chance to come and enjoy a great night's entertainment. All you have to do is text us race day text the words race day to 086 1800 658 now and you'll win tickets to go along to that big night and you could also win the big prize that's a delicious four course meal for four people in the luxury view restaurant at the stadium what a great way to get the bank holiday underway the may bank holiday and i do want to mention one of our own yes alicia mccluskey congratulations alicia a baby boy his name is milo and he's a brother to poppy and son to paul congratulations to you all and we're thrilled for you and just wanted to mention you today on the Late Lunch Show. Now, my next guest is our unsung hero for the month of March. We heard about her a few weeks back but when I get talking to her I said, holy my, she'll have to come in and talk to us on Late Lunch because she's a very interesting lady and Carolyn, it's good to see you. Hi, Jerry. You're welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm going to tell them over the next while why you're an interesting woman. Now, Tully Allen is your home and in the family. How many were in the Carolyn family? Um, there was nine of us, six boys and three girls. And where do you come in the pecking order? Anne? I'm in the middle. Right. OK, so you're you're wedged either side by the others. And how many boys and girls? Six boys and three girls. Now, your mum was a famous woman, wasn't she? Um, well, Mammy was very well known in the area, all right. Um, she was heavily involved in the community and um, 
she did a stint in um, politics as well. Um, but she just would have been well known around Tully Allen for her community work. Yeah, Josie Carlin was her name. Now, you're going to let us into a little secret today, aren't you? Because Josie wasn't her name. Well, Mammy's name was Alice Josephine, but um, everybody called her Josie. But I think she would have preferred Alice, but like a lot of Irish families, they call people whatever they want to call them. So she disliked the name Josie, did she? Well, I think she just would have preferred Alice, but she just got... Did anyone call her Alice? Uh, Not that I know of, actually, no. (laughs) Even within the family, no. No. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is interesting. Because I'm Jared born, but everyone calls me Jerry, but my mum and my sister were the two who called me by my real name, but everybody else used the other. Isn't that just interesting with yourselves as well? She was a big influence on you, wasn't she? Very much so. I think Mammy was a big influence on us all in the family. And um, as I said, she was very um, interested in our community because she wasn't from Tully Allen. She was from uh, North County Dublin, St. Margaret's. And um, when she came to Tully Allen, she said that she found it quite lonely until the eldest went to school. So she always encouraged us to be aware that, you know, when you when you enter into community, that it can be quite a lonely place for people. So to look out for people and to try and encourage them to get involved within the community. God, she so. was a woman ahead of her time, because look at today, all the new Irish we have here and people mobile moving about from different parts of the country. It's a very good thing to bear in mind, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think it's very important and it's a good um, lesson to teach our children as well, you know, that... It, no man is an island and communities are, um, need to be strong to keep everybody well within the community. Fine words. And she said when the first child went to school, you know the way school is an introduction as well to other people. Mm. Where did you go to school? Yes, we all went to school in Tully Allen, in the National School in Tully Allen. It was a much smaller school then, and but now Tully Allen um, School has almost 500 children at school there. Um, and uh, they have a wonderful parents association and um, it works in conjunction then with the Glen Emmets, the football team. The GA club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Glen Emmets um, has currently 219 adult members and 410 juvenile members. So they serve a huge purpose within the, the community, um, not just for the football inside of things, but for the social end of things, because it's a great way for new people to interact within the community. Um, and whilst we um, are promoting the football end of things, we are also hoping to promote the score end of things this year um, within the Glen Emmets, which helps people who aren't footballers to get involved in areas like, you know, in score, there's recitation, ballad singing, Irish dancing, things like that. So we hope to really promote that within the club this year. So the club is flying and, of course, there's a huge new community, the school being reflective of it in Tully Allen in, in recent years. You are deeply involved with the Emmets. I, you carried the bag for years on the line. You looked That's after right, the boys, yeah. didn't you? The physio end of things. Are you still doing that? I'm not working directly with the Emmets, but um, as their physio, um, Vicky McGinn is um, their wonderful oh, yeah. physio at the moment. Yes. And she's doing a terrific job with the men. And But I am involved in the community or in the committee end of things Good. with Glen Emmets. Yeah. Um, from Tully Allen to Green Hills in Drogheda, uh, was that a big transition? Not really, because at the time, um, and I think um, it is still the case, Tully Allen was a feeder school for um, Green Hills. So many of my friends went to Green Hills and my sisters had gone to Green Hills. So I was familiar with it. So um, I, I really enjoyed Green Hills. I thought it was a great school and still do. Um, 
and um yeah the, uh, the teachers there were terrific and I just really enjoyed it I got to make lots of friends and um, some of them luckily are still my friends today What did you do after Green Hill? Secretarial course was that the next call? Yeah you? like everybody I think um, in at that time um, you went on and did a secretarial course and then I left Ireland then and went to Jersey in the Channel Islands Why Jersey? Well <laughs> I don't really know. It was just one of those things. Somebody mentioned it and myself and two friends went off on an adventure to the Channel Islands and which kind of lasted then for several years. I did come back and then went back again. And um, I just really enjoyed travelling. I liked Jersey. It was a small place. So it was an easy transition from a small village to another small country. You were a police officer there. No, I no? was a police officer in London. Right. Um, I joined the Metropolitan Police. Okay, in London. In London, yeah. I left Jersey and went to live in London and I was um, a police officer in Wembley in London. And how long did you spend there? Just under two years. So. What was that like? Very interesting. Um, it was at a period of time that there wasn't very many Irish people. In fact, I was the only Irish person at the time taken in on the intake um, for the Metropolitan Police. The training was amazing. I really enjoyed it. It was very difficult, but has stood to me all all my life. Um, We learned things that, you know, really do stand to you. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I just didn't want to make a a life for myself in London. Um, I just found it too big. I found it a very lonely place. And again, that's why I come back to the whole community being very important. It wasn't as obvious. Communities weren't as obvious in London at that time. Mm, and we've moved in that direction quite a bit in the urban areas of Ireland since. Mm-hmm. You went off then travelling after that. Did, when, you, when you left the police, did you come home first before you went travelling? Yeah. You went to the States? I went. I came home and then I went to the States. I spent some time in Washington, D.C. and then I came back again and then I joined the army from then. So, so the army joining, you, you had gone back to studies just before that, had you? You did a course in exercise and yeah, health. I've done yes? the, yeah, the, I had done the NCEF level one. So I was a fitness instructor and I was working, I was doing courses at the time in several of the local gyms at the time. How did the army happen? Did you just see an ad in the paper? Or how were you appointed in that direction? Or did the police work in London probably play any some, part? Yeah, the police probably had it, uh, some sort of... Um, you know, a movement towards that area. Um, but my brother, um, Paddy, he was in the army at the time. He had joined the army at the same time as I had joined the police. So um, he sa- said, why don't you try the army? So I did. And the rest is history. Yeah. What age? You were mid-twenties, just beyond mid-twenties when you went in, sort of around that time, yeah? Mm-hmm. So. And And... Going in there a, a few years ago, what was that like? Were there many women on the intake? No, um, we were the first women to train with men. Up to that, the army had trained women separate to men, but we were the first platoon to ever train, you know, to be integrated with men, which was grace, which was the way it should be. Um, and um, I think at the time there were 10,000 men in the defence forces and only 500 of them were women. So, but there were, uh, of, on that year, only 50 women joined the army. God, it was small, wasn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Has that number changed in the interim? Is there more um, women? It has kind of stayed, it has it increased, but it has never increased to the numbers that they wanted to, it to. Mm. You know. She's in the army. We're taking a short break. More with Anne Carlin in a couple of moments. She's in the army now. I had to say that. I was just dying to say that with you here today with me, Anne. Anne Carlin's with us on Late Lunch. Where did you train? 
Oh, I trained in Gormanston, so I didn't have to go too far, so it was easy enough. Yeah. And then Dundalk? Then on to Dundalk for um, the third part, the second part of um, our initial training, and then I was um, sent then to Dublin to Cottleborough Barracks and Rat Mines in Dublin. Did you love it? Um, yeah, I did. I have to say, probably, that um, I did like the army. Um, I enjoyed the travelling. Um, I enjoyed just the variation. No two days were the same. Um, and, you know, you met so many diverse people. It was just, it was great crack, mm. you know. And, and did you hold your own as a woman with a male-dominated group that you were involved with always? Did you ever feel... What I'm trying to say, lesser than the men. No. Well, I have six brothers, like, so I never, <laughs> you know, I never <laughs> thought like that. You Thanks, know. Anne. She She's just, just told me there straight off. She had, had the training done at home. Exactly. Yeah. So, so um, you just took that with you and... You just got stuck in yeah. the same as everybody else. <laughs> now, you did four tours of duty abroad, three in Bosnia and one in Lebanon. Was the Leb the first one? Lebanon was first time, yeah. My first time overseas was Lebanon and uh, it was a great trip. Very interesting trip, um, very busy trip. Um, but yeah, as I said, I just love traveling and it was great to see, um, you know, a different country and because it really makes you appreciate what you have here. Um, and I think um, it's really important to travel. I think it's important for people to travel um, to see and to appreciate just what you have just in your own doorstep. On the doorstep, yeah. But you're... It's a serious matter. You're out there peacekeeping, you're in volatile areas. We only have to mention the word Lebanon and people know what we're talking about. Bosnia as well, all the horror that happened there. Mm-hmm. Are you conscious of that? Absolutely, and and you shouldn't go unless you're conscious of it, you know. Um, but again, it's a very it's a very big eye-opener. It makes you realise like, the importance of democracy here um, and how, you know, how futile war is um, because there are no winners. Um but again, I will revert back that even in those horrific situations, the sense of community within Bosnia and Lebanon was huge for those people. And and that's why I think it's so important here. Even in the midst of the chaos and the war and the death and everything that you felt that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the worse the situation, the stronger the communities had to be for their survival. You you had came through unscathed, thank God. You, you never had any close brushes or serious incidents. Or? There was um, several incidents, but um, thankfully I personally was fine. Um, mm. But you you know you did witness several things, but that's part and parcel of the job. Now tell us about this famous phone call that you got one day when you were back home. You weren't abroad, you're home, and you get a phone call. You thought this call genuinely was a wind up, did you? I did, yeah. Um, Tell us the story. Oh, I was just, I was um, on leave actually, and I got a call, um, and the guy on the other end of the line said, um, "Hi, Anne. Um, the president wants to meet you on Friday." And I says, "Who?" And he went, "The president." And I said, "The president of what?" And he went, "The president of Ireland." And I said, "Okay, yeah, good luck." And uh, did you hang up? I think I did actually hang up. <laughs> So he, did he ring back? He did, yeah. And <laughs> then he explained that he was the aide de camp for Mary McAleese. So did I, you apologise? I did profusely. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> the president wanted to meet Anne Carlin. Did he tell you in that call why? Um, 
he said that she was looking for a personal trainer and that I had been recommended to him. So. And you went? I went, yeah, and I met Mary. And Were you apprehensive going Mary. to Mary? Um, it was a huge honour, obviously, and um, but I was very nervous and um, I didn't really know what it entailed and everything. So, But I just went and we liked each other, so we just started working together, so it was fine. How many years did you work with President McAleese? I worked um, with her on and off for 10 years. Um, I, I did tours of duty within those 10 years and um, I had two children within those 10 years. So I took breaks, obviously enough for um, those reasons. But um, yeah, I worked with her until she finished her second term of office. So you managed to keep contact even on the tours and having the babies and that you were still Absolutely, in contact yeah. with? And um, she was terrific and um, she was a great woman to work for, very influential as well very strong woman and um, as we all know and just really you know a terrific woman to work with and she did us a great honour then of opening the playground for us in Tully Allen then in 2011 which was one of her last public um, arrangements then. That was special for you? Very yeah it was really important and um, it's great to have it's it's another huge benefit you know because it's just there beside the club for the Glen Emmett so then when children are training um, their, their parents can bring younger children to the playground. So again, it, it, it's, it all lines back up to the community. Yes, have it all worked out? out. Haven't you? Yeah, really have. It's, it, 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 look, it's, it's I think Tullyan is a very special community. I think mm. there are so many wonderful groups, um, as I've mentioned, the Glen Emmets, but then you have the Tidy Towns Committee, you have the Parents Association, you have the Carers, you have the, you know, the Parish Council. There's so many things out there that get done by to really terrific people mm. and but without them like Tully Allen is growing at a rate of knots like there's two and a half thousand people there and if we don't have a strong community and uh, we don't look after the young people within it then you know we probably are on a road to nowhere Yes You'd call Mary McAleese a friend now I would after call all Mary that time yes Yeah you're still yeah. in touch with her at I'm all? I'm still in touch with Mary, mm. yeah. And, and you took her for personal training sessions? Yeah. Was she good? She was great, yeah. Would she do what you told her? She would. Imagine you... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagine you ordering the president around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked Come her. on, Mary! Well, yeah, there was a lot of that. It was there? Yeah. 
But she did what you told she her. Did, yeah. <laughs> what an honour that was. Absolutely. Did many people know, know that? That you. Um, probably, well, my family knew, but. Um, and. Um, but. And people within the Defence Forces would have known, but. I don't know if people. Yeah. I'd say would have known. What rank did you rise to ultimately in the army? Sergeant. Okay. And you were in charge of men and women? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that goes with the rank so um, mm. yeah Are there some people not suited to army life? Did you come across people who were in and then suddenly said Oh absolutely not yeah. for me and it isn't for everybody do you know what I mean and it's a terrific job for people for a, a young single person if they're that way inclined but not everybody is that way inclined some people don't like being told what to do and that's fine too and some people don't like the physical end of it and it is quite physical because that is the nature of it um, but for me personally I was always involved in fitness so I really enjoyed that end of it um, and as I said I loved meeting people um, from everywhere and you make friends in the army that you, you have for life do you know what I mean which is super Was it tough to say goodbye what did you do 24 years mm-hmm. um, Well I think you know everything like everywhere in the public sector changes and the defence forces is not the same as it used to be 24 years ago things move forward and move on um, so I think you know my time was done in defence forces and it was time for broader you know I, I, I didn't like to see it as an end and I'd like to see it as a new beginning um, as I said it was it was a chance to try other things and get involved in community projects and stuff like that because it gave me the time then to finish off a few things that I was involved in so you really are your mother's keeper let me say you've carried the flame on for Josie and you're deeply involved in so many things and that's why you are the unsung hero uh, on late lunch uh, here for the month of March you're involved in so many things as we heard and you get an awful lot you give an awful lot do you feel you receive a lot as well I don't. I don't personally feel like I give an awful lot. I just think I. I. I think some things are important projects. Like the Glen was an important project, you know. Um, the Emmets are an important part of um, Tully Allen, um, and they were a great help to us as a family. The Glen Emmets, and we we've always been involved. So and the school as well. We were always involved in school, and I just think it's important to be involved. It's, I think I have two children. I want them to see that. You know, it's important to be involved when, uh, within your community in a helpful way. And insofar as you can help at all, you do your best. Um, I don't feel that um, I give more than anyone else, to be fair. And I don't really know why I was nominated for that. But um, I just I just like, you know, being involved in Tully Allen. We need more Anne Carlins. I'll say that to finish today. We do. Right across our communities in the northeast and in the country as well. You're a real good one and I admire you greatly and I thank you for coming in to talk to us on Late Lunch today. She didn't tell anyone in the family she was here. Am I right? She told not a sinner that she was here. It's on podcast. They'll be able to listen. Look, she's a hand. She's a hand. She's a hands in our face here. Relax. It's over now, Anne. It's all right. It's all right. Cool. Anyway, thank you for joining me on the show. Congratulations again on the nomination. It's great to see you. There's only one song I want to play out with. Yes, for you. Status quo in the army.
met my next guest on Late Lunch last summer. Sarah Flynn is a gentle birth instructor and in the meantime she's been busy, busy with work and listen to this, she's been shortlisted in the best startup co- uh, category in the Irish Best Young Entrepreneur competition for her county. She's back with us today because you may have picked up on a number of stories that have been doing the rounds in the national media about some awful stories around birthing. And I'm delighted to say hello again to Sarah Flynn on Late Lunch. You're very welcome back. Hi, Jerry. Thank you very much for having me. Congratulations first oh, on the young you. entrepreneur. You could be back in the studio again, you know, if you... Uh, Touch wood, fingers get, crossed, get if all nod. goes well. It's been brilliant. No, and I want to just actually, while I'm here, say thank you to the local enterprise office in Meath because they've been absolutely fabulous in all the support that they've given us and the training and whatever comes. It's been, it's been a brilliant experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well done to you again for for making the final shake up in that one there. Now, I mentioned a moment ago these stories that have been in the national media about uh, trauma in the Irish maternity system. You are a gentle birth instructor. Were you alarmed by these? I suppose as somebody who's in the, the birth world, for want of a better term, I wasn't overly surprised, though it definitely made very, very hard listening. Um, I think that for anyone who's familiar with working with women who are pregnant or giving birth, you're probably not overly surprised at it. Yeah, it's still it's still quite shocking when you hear it and when you listen to it. Um, but I think it is necessary and I personally see it as a positive, for want of a better word, that people are now speaking about it and that maybe giving these women a voice and that maybe it might trigger off some change because if we don't talk about things nothing will change. Do you think the system can be a bit rigid that you go into? You know when you go in to have your baby there is a process and procedures that have to be followed. Yes I think I suppose in short yes but I think that we have a huge amount of really really brilliant staff in the hospitals whose hands are maybe particularly tied be it lack of staff or underfunded and then we also maybe have to see we're beginning to see a change in culture maybe a little bit around language and the language that we use towards women and their needs and how they feel and that that takes time these things don't change overnight um, I think we're making steps in the right direction and it's a slow and steady process but I think these women speaking about it and bringing attention to it will only be a positive for the women who will come after them and the experience they have. I know everybody and every woman should enjoy a birthing experience. Unfortunately, there will be a small number of cases where that doesn't happen and that is probably inevitable. There are so many babies born in this country and in the world every year. Sure, it can't always be plain sailing. But you say that really with what you're talking about and if we follow your mantra, that 
within reason, everything should go okay. I 100% believe that. I believe that every woman, no matter what the mode of birth, and for me, the focus is very much not on the natural birth or it being all natural. The focus is on a woman having a positive experience as defined by her. What's positive for me might be completely different to somebody else and that's perfectly fine. So we focus on having women that feel empowered and in control of what's happening to their body and that they feel and that they feel at the end of their birth or when they look back on their birth of their baby, a month down the line, six months down the line, that they feel warm inside, that they feel happy about it, that they feel, God, that went really well on the day. It went the best I could and I made the best decisions for me on the day and I felt included in the decisions that were made on the day because birth can't be particularly planned. I mean, it's it's unpredictable by its nature. However, we can definitely have a think about things we can do to make it a positive and enjoyable experience for ourselves because I for one, very much enjoyed giving birth. And I know when you say that, people look at it and they go, God, that's mad. Or, you know, how how could you have enjoyed it? But for me, it was a very much a human experience and quite a profound human experience, bringing your child into the world. So this is about giving women the tools and the empowerment and the information and their partners, not just the women and their partners, that when they go into this, that no matter what path your birth takes, that you feel I had an empowering and positive experience. And positive is really the key word. There is pain. I'm a man. How would I know anything about it? You've been through it. Yes? Yes, there is pain. But in saying that, I know for me and for a lot of other gentle birth mothers, when we when we have done our prep and we've kind of taken the time, sometimes we describe it more as a pressure or a sensation like at full term your uterus which is the muscle that contracts when you're in labour that has some of the least pain receptors in your body so logically you think gosh that that shouldn't be but somehow we associate this excruciating pain with labour so really it's about changing your pain perception and that can be changed pain perception is largely linked to the brain and how you feel on the day and how much danger your brain perceives you to be in so it's taking steps that instead of feeling like oh god I'm in labour and letting all the panic kick in it's about taking a nice deep breath and saying, actually, this is exactly what's supposed to happen and going from there. If you're a first time mum, you've never been through it and you're listening today, you'll think, fair enough. But what's ahead of me here? So you start from the beginning. You start talking to women from how many weeks? Completely depends. I've had women contact me at the trying to conceive stage okay. right through pregnancy and, and beyond and then sometimes you have women who might come to you I know for myself I only came across gentle birth at, after 30 weeks I think I've been 31 or 2 weeks pregnant and that's still not too late you're never too late to start working on your mindset towards birth and preparing yourself with tools to have a good experience on the day. So what are some of these, for some example? Of these, for example, we do things like hypnobirthing is a big one that people have heard of. And I actually think Meghan Markle now and the royal family might be using it. So it's it's trendy at the moment, but it is hugely, hugely effective. There is no ticking pendulum clock and you won't be put in a trance. It's more about looking at techniques we can use so that we're nice and relaxed on the day. Stuff like mindfulness as well that can also alter our pain perception and help us cope with things better on the day. So that when we're making decisions, we're making them from a place of information as opposed to fear, which is a big thing when you're listening to women who maybe have had a traumatic experience. It's not actually what happened on the day. It's the fact that maybe they didn't feel included or calm enough to make that decision. Stuff like sports psychology is also a really big one and using all the techniques that the top athletes use. You didn't even have to look at the Masters there. I found that fascinating the week before last and I'm not a big golf person. And 
watching all the little sports psychology techniques they use to get themselves in the best possible headspace. And the dads on the workshops love this because it makes total sense to them. And so stuff like visualisation, visualising the birth you want as opposed to the birth that you don't want. Because if you spend the nine months of pregnancy going, oh my God, I'm going to be screaming for the epidural when I'm in the car park at the hospital and I'm going to be the one who's rushed off to a cesarean section. If you keep telling yourself that, there's a higher chance that it'll happen. Our brain can't tell the difference between what's real and what's really vividly imagined. So we start focusing on what's going to happen. The same way the golfer focuses on getting the shot or or the, the football player, we focus on the birth that we want because you will never regret focusing on more positive things in pregnancy and worrying less. Isn't that interesting? I can just see Tiger delivering the Masters. That's it. <laughs> I never That's looked it. at it in that light before. And Tiger, Tiger is a brilliant example of it. It's, it's that level of focus and that focus to take each contraction or each surge, whatever you want to call it, to take in that moment by moment because each contraction lasts only about a minute. And if I told you you can do anything for one minute, focus on that thought and just breathe through it and then you have a couple of minutes to rest before the next one. And it's... And possible, it really is possible for anybody to take these techniques, learn them and implement them when they're in the, the 100%. moment. 100%. And sometimes people go, God, that sounds very, it's not complicated. A lot of the time you're doing it when you're daydreaming you're in a deep state of relaxation. Or when I ask people, a lot of time I'll ask in the workshop, you know, do you use visualisation? And people will say, no, no, I don't use that. But I say, do you worry? Because worry is just negative visualisation. We're worrying about the bad things. We're visualising the bad things. So let's let's use that mindfulness. Let's, let's tweak our mindset. You see, when you're pregnant, you have increased neuroplasticity in the brain, which is a pretty new concept. And that is that we can rewire our neural pathways and we can change the way we think about things. And baby brain is real and it's the prime time to do it. So what we're working on doing is rewiring your brain for positivity as opposed to fear, because that has a big, big impact then on our hormones during labour, which is something that a lot of people don't realise. Epidurals take the pain away. You could, you mentioned a, se- a section yourself that could come into the picture. You say, don't even think about those in, in the interim. Just focus on the moment and moving forward. Will this still stand to you if that scenario unfolds? I actually think it's the contrary. I, we w- I would say, look at all the options and how we're going to have a positive option no matter what path it takes. So we're going to think about if I'm having a cesarean section, is there anything that I'd like to make that more gentle for me? I have a woman coming on a workshop next month. I don't think she'll mind me saying this. And she might be having an elective cesarean, but she still wants to do that because she wants to be calm. She wants things like skin to skin after the birth. She maybe wants them to lower down the drape as baby's being delivered. So she feels included in the process. So things are slowed down. So it's not implementing. It is still birth. Birth is birth. An epidural, that can be a brilliant tool. If you're having a long, prolonged, painful labour, go for it. If that's what's going to help you and let you have the rest, that could be the key thing that helps a woman have a positive experience. This is not about being a martyr or having an all-natural experience. It's about using all the tools in your toolkit to have a good experience on the day. And Sarah Flynn has them and we're going to hear more about them after this short break. What about the hands-on aspect of this? You know, you're talking about the mind and all that goes on there. So important. Mind is so important because it impacts on so many other things. But also, like when we do a workshop or that, and I would definitely advise people even if they can't get a workshop to to have a think about what hands-on things you can do on the day what are you going to bring with you I know some women like music they might 
put together a playlist, things that can help distract the mind. And then other people like things like essential oils or aromatherapy. But I really love to get the partners involved and give them kind of hands-on tools that they can use to help help their partner on the day. So stuff like double hip squeezes or, you know, hip compressions or massage. Light touch massage is one really good one because it confuses the neural pathways to the brain so we don't actually feel the pain as badly. Also simple things like getting in the shower or hopping in the bath that you might think of doing on the day but can be really, really effective as pain relief and can kind of change the atmosphere as well. And there's loads of other. Acupressure is another big one that people like and we go through the different acupressure points for labour on the workshops because I think these hands-on tools not only can they help you in labour, but I also think for the partners, it's a really good way for them to feel that they can get involved and proactively help support their partner. Because sometimes it's very easy, especially maybe if you're a first time dad or a first time parent, to get a little bit sidelined and to panic on the day and get a little bit pushed to one side. And then you don't feel maybe after the fact that you supported your partner as well as you could have done. So it's about learning those hands-on tools. We'd also talk a lot about navigating the hospital system. So even simple things like understanding the different stages of labour or when's a good time to leave for the hospital or the different things that might take place. Even just talking through them understanding them, understanding what they are and then maybe sitting down with your partner and going through and writing down a few birth preferences that you can give to your midwife and I I mean some people use the term birth plan, I like birth preferences we can't necessarily plan it but it's nice to have, to convey to your midwife, I compare it to when you go to the hairdresser, the hairdresser can't see exactly what you want but you might bring in a photograph and show them and that helps them see then what you're picturing. This is a little bit like that, these are your birth preferences and you bring them in with you and you can give them then to your midwife and that gives her a picture of who you are and who you are as a family and what you want for and what would make a positive experience for you because what I might feel is positive or what I might really really want from my birth could be completely different to somebody else. That's absolutely fine this is personal to you and it's as defined by you and nobody else can tell you that your experience wasn't positive or that's not how you should do it because we for some reason when you get pregnant people are very quick with opinions and you could be standing at the bus stop with your big bump and someone will come over and start telling you how their labour went and sometimes it's a good thing but other times it can throw you off a little bit so we're bringing the focus back to who you are and what you want and At the end of the day, it's about a positive experience, whatever path it takes. So we definitely, we talk through all your options and how to navigate that. And then using your brain training, you're calm and relaxed and you make good decisions for you. One born every minute, don't watch it. Not while pregnant, don't watch it. Um, It's it's dramatised for TV. We... We are programmed to fear birth because probably since childhood we're watching films of the woman who's been rushed off in the ambulance and the screaming and the panic. And a lot of the time... It's not like that. It can be quite long and prolonged and there's no real drama. And for most of the women that would come to me who would have a positive experience, they'd say, actually, there was quite a lot of just kind of calm, relaxed silence where we just were waiting around in between contractions. And that's actually perfectly okay. So, yeah, maybe put those those dramatic kind of TV shows to one side. And if you want, you can go online. There's, I know Gentle Birth have a Facebook group and stuff like that, where there's lots of really lovely, positive stories from real women that are a lot more realistic. And it's good to surround yourself with that positivity in the run up to having your baby and beyond. So they've heard what you had to say again today on Late Launch and to calm the waters there have been stories in the media but you know in the vast majority of cases with a 
bit of preparation and doing all that Sarah spoke about, has spoken about with us this afternoon, well, you will enjoy one of the greatest moments of any woman's life to give birth to a child. Now, how can they find out a bit more about you? To find out a bit more about me, the website is relaxbalancebirth.com or you can find me on Facebook at relaxbalancebirth. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, and I'm actually having a free gentle birth meetup next month in Navin. It's in Costa Coffee in Johnstown Shopping Centre on the 25th of May at 1.30pm. So if anybody just wants to pop in, if you're pregnant or you think you're going to be pregnant soon or maybe you've had your baby and you're just interested in this, come on in for a chat and you can ask me any questions and we'll go from there. And the ones that I've forgotten to ask today. So get working on those for the 25th of May. Costa Coffee in Navin and Sarah would be delighted to see delighted you there. Delighted to see you. Our Louise, who has had three babies, has picked this song just for you. Oh, she's a good one, Louise. It's John Cougar Mellencamp. And I think it sums you up. Heart's so good. Do you like it, Sarah? I love it. I think it's a great song. We'll run with it. (laughs) We will indeed. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jerry. Louise, you have comments about the seagulls. Yes, um, seems positive and negative. One person texted in that gulls are very hungry and so are foxes. So feed them instead of persecuting them and live and let live. That was Cuthbert in Dundalk. And somebody oh yeah, else Eric. Said, yeah, thank you, Eric, for sending that on to us. And somebody else said that I have those seagulls above my balcony, which I can't use because they attack me. Interesting. Balbriggan man on to us as well. He is a business in Balbriggan. He had to break the seagull's nest as it was destroying his business. He, the, he was up in front of the courts. He had to pay €500 Euro or face a month in prison. Pat, thanks for that comment there. We may come back to you on that one and uh, come back to it on late lunch tomorrow. Elma has been in touch to say, Jerry, I used the gentle birth techniques for my first two pregnancies and it was simply wonderful. Birth is a natural thing. It's not a science and should be relaxing if possible. It's the only time that it's all about the mammy and the baby. Gentle birth techniques just helped me and my husband stayed calm. Very important, isn't it as well? Thank you, Elma. 
Thelma for that comment to us today. T- keep them coming. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Well done to Fiona Keane from Kilcurry who won the 1,000 worth of garden furniture on the 11 to 1 show thanks to O'Mara's Garden Pavilion in Mullingar. Nice prize there. And again, congratulations to Venergy Centre Hoys Lane Dundalk winners on the breakfast show this week of the Blue Cool Water Dispenser. Big thanks to Juanita uh, David for the fabulous prize. Thank you indeed. Up next on the show, the Drogheda Arts Festival. One of the highlights of the year in the Boyneside town is on the horizon and we're joined on the show in a few moments by two women who have art in them to their fingertips. Yes, Colette Farrell and Vivian Barner up next on Late Lunch. You've got to make a note of these dates. April 30th to May 6th, the place to be is Drogheda. The Arts Festival 2019 is on and what a lineup they have. Something there for everybody in the audience. And we're going to talk about it for the next while on Late Lunch because I'm joined by Colette Farrell, who's co-chair of the Arts Festival. And Vivian Byrne is here. You know her. She's a wonderful artist and she's part of this brilliant Borrowed Ground exhibition that's opening at the start of the festival and will run. Ladies, you're welcome to the show. Thank you for Thank joining you me. Great to Thank have you, you with us. This is an exciting time Colette Farrell yes. how many years of the festival um, this is the 15th year now Jerry. this year 15 years it's gone yeah, by yeah. in the blink Absolutely. of an eye yeah and I suppose we've very I suppose special um, a festival this year as I say it's 15 years and it's all run Jerry. just to point out by a voluntary committee of cultural kind of I suppose practitioners and artists in the town so this year it's a whole mix of theatre music uh, visual arts spoken word and poetry and also we're coming back into the centre of the town this year with our family day out in Dominic's Park and I guess the festival as well is very much re focusing on um, you know the centre of, of, of the town refocusing on Drogheda and again very much at looking at supporting artists in the northeast region as well as bringing in amazing international artists into the town for the festival. How important is this to you as the manager of the Drogheda Arts Centre and at the hub of this every day of your working life that there is a special time like this in the year to focus on? Well look it's really really important to me I mean I think I've been involved in the festival previously in my Calippo uh, Theatre and Picture Company days and then subsequently um, as, as part of the Drihid Arts Centre. And, it, you know, it, it's brilliant to have a multidisciplinary festival for one week of the year, one week where we're celebrating everything in terms of culture and the arts. And again, that focus as well on the development of artists, professional and emerging artists in the northeast. I mean, that's really, really a, a key thing. And also as well, it's an opportunity with the funding, I suppose, and the support behind us from the, the local authority Loud County Council and um, indeed the Arts Council it's a real celebration of all the arts in Drogheda and, and, and uh, beyond and really I suppose portrays the value of, of the arts I guess in society as well. Vivian Barn on the other side yes, to the artist and you are a representative here today of the artistic community how important is this to you guys? Well, it's very. I think it's vital. I think it's vital um, to have a space to work work with and work for for a festival that you can become involved in over the years. I think I've been involved in most of the festivals over the years at some level, um, and it's uh, it's great when your local community support what you do because often you work in the corner of a room on your own or you work, you know, quietly away, and so something. 
it's something to work for and work towards and be able to show your family and your friends and the people who know you this is what I do you know and it gives it a kind of a showcase moment and uh, the so wider community that's yeah. a very important point you make there it can be a very isolating profession can't it you work away and you wonder yeah you quietly kind of talk to yourself <laughs> and your family get a little bit fed up maybe listening to what you're saying and you're going oh, what do you think of this and they're kind of going oh god she's at it again <laughs> <laughs> but uh, which is, is is why kind of I suppose this borrowed ground project yes, is, talk is to so me about valuable. This. Well, what is this about? Well, this was born out of uh, a need for designated artist spaces uh, in in the Drogheda area because we don't have any. There are a number of different artists working in different spaces, maybe on their own, which they've arranged in their own way. But it's not quite that easy to get a larger space. There was it began with maybe five. There's five of us all together who've been working for the last maybe year and a half, mm. looking at different spaces around the town, trying to figure out what you know what might be available, what can we afford, and that's a big issue because what we can afford is is because we're not at the commercial level of arts and it's about ideas and it's about ideas generation and there has to be a place for that that's not dictated by economy uh, and finance uh, but it always is at some level too so you're always kind of relying on somebody's you know on, on a spare room or the kitchen table to move things away and, and catching up with different artists at different times at an opening or something like this but this really designates kind of a space for the next 11 weeks which is is vital for us 15 weeks 15 weeks. You're getting 15 weeks 15 in the gallery. Weeks. I've booked that. I, I, that's public today. That's what it says here in my notes. 15 weeks. Don't do yourself short at all. There's 11 artists involved. It's 11 that's artists. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 11 of you are going to be on display in the gallery of the Dread Art Centre there. Wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Will that take them up by the flat? 15 weeks. I'm it, just trying it, to no, it'll take them up to the 14th of July. I actually okay. think it could be only 11, I but I don't know. All right, we might have counted okay. wrong, Jerry. Okay. It takes them up to the 14th um, of July, basically. Okay. Great. And Lovely. Yeah, I, I guess we're hoping as well that the public will come in and engage with the artists and visit the studio. Yes. So it's 11 artists working, it's 11 residencies. You will be there. Yeah, will be there. Absolutely. Yeah. There'll be some of us there at all times. Uh, happy to meet the public also so you get a sense of what an artist does and it's you know what's lovely we went in today and and there's a space i find a space my there's a space there yeah. and i can go into it uh, and i'm neighbors you know that you, yeah. you know that you can see in chat it's, really here. it's very nice you could get used to this oh yeah you certainly could you um, might get rid of them <laughs> well, I, look i don't mind i mean you know I an art center kind of, is meant to be full of artists full of artists is quite nice <laughs> there that, you go. Uh, it's coming home and i think it's very nice with regard to the kind of the ethos i suppose of yeah. that it, it's a important uh, our, it's this artists. is well worth seeing folks mm. and it launches from the very beginning of the festival on the That's 30th right. and runs into July as well as Colette yeah. says there yeah. call in say hello see what's going on look at the talent and even if you're not that interested in the artist there's the art share that that's launched that's the library of, of books yeah um, it's a creative reference library we're doing it in association with the wonderful Brian Hegarty uh, from 3345 and a whole load of uh, reference books art reference books have been donated by the Irish Museum of Modern Art so a big thanks to them and this art uh, Archer Creative Reference Library is going to be permanently in our cafe bar and you can pop in meet the artists go into the cafe bar and uh, you know look up something do a bit of research it's open to the public it's open to students and we're hoping that people will add to it as well with other kind of different you know poetry books novels etc. You offered a commission in conjunction with the festival this year and this is a real exciting one for you because 
Chris, tell me who it's gone to and what they'll be doing. Well, it's gone to um, two wonderful local artists, Declan Kelly and um, Els Bogart. Great and people. they're mm. absolutely amazing. They have a studio up there um, in Millmount. They've had a long uh, association, I guess, with the Druid Arts Centre, also uh, indeed with the festival. So the, the commission, just to uh, say, Jerry, what it is, it's very much about um, commissioning, again, local artists in the northeast region to produce new work. And so Declan and Els applied for it and they applied with this really interesting piece called Ten Plagues with this company based up in Belfast, the Belfast um, um, Ensemble. And it is very much about, I guess, it's tracing the journey, one man's journey um, of, if we go back to the, the, the Great Plague of 1665 and how it kind of came in, in a way, through Drogheda Port. And it's very much reflecting on, um, it's using, I suppose, the plague to talk about the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. It's got amazing people involved, um, Connor Mitchell and indeed Mark Ray. Hill. And then Els and Declan have created these uh, wonderful visual pieces as well as a backdrop. And I suppose it's it's theatre, it's music, it's cabaret. It's going to be very, very different as well. And it's a great opportunity to work with the two local artists and also to have this almost cross-border initiative as well with this great company. You're only going since 2016, but mm. are, you know what I mean, they're, they're making waves out there on the scene. Now, Little Duke Theatre oh, yeah. is a long time in, in, in town. It really is. And so many children have come through Little Duke as well to uh, forge careers for themselves, yeah. amateurs, and some have gone on to professional as well. And it's centre stage on Saturday the 4th of May for this super extra bonus <laughs> party. That tickles my fancy yeah, well, straight well, this, away. This has come through the commission process as well. So as well, well as the bigger commission that Els and Declan um, have been awarded, we also decided when we looked at, I suppose, the quality of the applications that came in to look at a, a commission that would be about, I suppose, development, right? So the two la- there's two companies, right? And Stay Up Late and Super Glue Assembly Line are the name of the companies. Two <laughs> lads based out in, um, originally from Betty's Town, right? Uh, Joe Wright and Scott Lines. And they do a lot of work in the UK and they're kind of over and back. So again, um, they have been working on this mixed media piece Um um, with uh, projections and movement and music and it's basically I suppose like a work in progress they call it a reading but it's not as you imagine a reading where people are going to be sitting down reading scripts you're going to be going in you're going to be seeing you know lots of movement on stage there's going to be music it's a wonderful piece um, Paul Hayes from Anton um, Art Centre in Dundalk as well has been working with them on the script kind of dramaturgically and it's something as well that the Druid once we get to see the work in progress that again we hope to continue an association with the company and maybe it's something that we'll be involved in in 2020. I want to remind listeners to find out more you can get tickets from uh, well to find out more it's the website drahadaartsfestival.ie that's drahadaartsfestival.ie and all the programme is there with the music the theatre the poetry the artists you name it the whole lot you can call to Drahid Arts Centre box office to get your tickets uh, you can call in there in person you can call them on 041 or again reminding you that uh, it's all happening in Drogheda between April 30th and the 6th of May. Now, 
you know, Vivian, said Dominic's Park in Drogheda. It goes back a long time. I played there as a child myself. And that wasn't a day or yesterday on the swings. I was there this morning. There's a big family event coming up there on the Monday, the bank holiday Monday, the 6th of May. There is indeed, yeah, yeah. So the traditional games are happening and uh, Guido Fanzini's Imaginarian of Entertainment, he'll be, they'll be at it. I love the names. Uh, Yeah, um, the fabulous ballet Poulet, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not sure. Yes. Two Olympian level idiots, which is great. Uh, they bring their masterpieces. It's just a lot of fun. Um, for children. For children and families. And you yeah. can sit about and you can look at the world go by. Uh, the kids can get involved. It's um, There's a, the traditional egg and spoon race and three-legged space. And it's our own Sinead. Well, your own Sinead McCluskey yeah. as, as well do all the traditional games. They've yes. done it every year. And we also have a wonderful uh, group from um, Dundalk as well. Well, um, Artists Exchange and also Creative Spark up there. There's going to be a lantern making, um, kind of a whole series of workshops over the afternoon between one and five. Children and families are invited to make their own lanterns, which we're going to hang from the trees. And then we're putting out again the um, amazing um, letters of Loud, uh, this big installation that um, one of our artists in the collective did a few years ago. And they're big giant letters of Loud, yeah, and so you're invited as well to, come to and draw, draw Loud. Yeah, and you're going to be facilitating yeah, that. Yeah, so we'll be working away with that and encouraging yeah. people and young children and even mummies and daddies to mammies come and, and daddies, to do yeah. a bit of drawing on loud. So, so that's that next great. Monday week, the bank holiday yeah. Monday, the 6th of May, the culmination yeah. of the thing with this yeah. big family day in St. Dominic's Park. Theatre, yes, the Gate Theatre on tour. Yes. I mentioned poetry there as well. There's yes. any amount of music. Holy God Almighty, it's the place yeah. to be, isn't it? it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's the lineup is fantastic. And again, check it all out on drahadartsfestival.ie. Have you anything more to say, Code Chairperson? Uh, no, but we just... Well, uh, I'd like to say just on. for the go younger... On, uh, yes, between yes. 18 and 25-year-olds. And I think it's important because we want young people Absolutely. to come and engage with the, with the festival. So there's a... a, a uh, a cheaper ticket available yeah. to oh, come yes. along yeah, to three events yes. uh, at least three events during the very festival very important to mention that yeah. 20 euro 18 to 25 year olds it's great value yeah. you should grab that ticket yeah, yeah. and make come the most see. of it as yeah, well yeah, yeah. you're wonderful I take my hat off to you best of luck with the week looking forward to I'm sure everybody is and congratulations Thanks, again Olivia. Colette to you and your people for putting this on for the people not just of Drogheda but Drogheda and the greater Drogheda area and the region as well Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. That's all we have for you this uh, Wednesday afternoon. And this song is appropriate for these women and for everybody involved. You're going to have it, yes. What a time you're going to have at the Drogheda Arts Festival. See you tomorrow, half one. I feel a little nauseous and my hands are shaking. I guess that means you're close by My throat is gonna dry And my heart is racing I haven't been by your side In a minute but I Think about it sometimes Even though I know It's not so distant Oh I know I still wanna Reminisce it I think of the night In the park it was getting dark And we stayed up for hours what a time, what a time, what a time You clean up my body like you wanted it forever What a time, what a time, what a time for you and I What a time, what a time for you and I I know we didn't end it like we're supposed to And 
now we get a bit tense. I wonder if my mind just leaves out all the bad parts. I know it didn't make sense. I admit it that I think about it sometimes, even though I know it's not so distant. Oh no, I still wanna reminisce it. I think of the night in the park. It was getting dark, and we stayed up for hours. What a time! What a time! What a time! You cling to my body like you wanted it forever. What a time! What a time! Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Selection used car event is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty, and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply. LMFM podcasts brought to you with Cartmac Cross Credit Union, where a student loan can help you finance your further education. Call to Cartmac Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CartmacCrossCU.ie. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.